Welcome to the Midlife Male Podcast, a podcast designed to help men maximize middle age and live healthier, wealthier, stronger, and happier. I am Greg Scheinman, and I'm inviting you to join the thousands of men who listen each week, receive my Midlife Male newsletter, and are committed to making this next phase of life our best phase. If you have not yet downloaded my No BS Guide to Maximizing Midlife, where I break down the three principles to maximizing middle age and taking back some of that shit you've given up, head on over to midlifemail.com forward slash no BS guide. Guys are loving these three principles to maximizing middle age, and you can download your copy today at midlifemail.com forward slash no BS guide. Hey guys, Greg Scheinman here, Midlife Mail Podcast Time. Thank you very much, as I always say, for joining me this week and every week on the podcast. Hey, my book is out. You know that, right? If you've been listening to the show, came out on November 1st, went to number one on Amazon, became a bestseller in a number of different categories, and that is all because of you guys. So thank you so much for helping me make this this dream, this idea, um, this notion, a reality. So I really, truly appreciate it. More importantly, because midlife is not a crisis. It's the sweet spot. And I genuinely believe that. And for too long, men like us have been told that midlife is a death sentence. It's a period of crisis, decline, and invisibility. And I don't believe it. The fact is What I'm experiencing and what I've learned is that midlife is an incredible time of renewal, confidence, and impact. And I wrote the Midlife Mail book, A No BS Guide to Living Better, Longer, Happier, Healthier, and Wealthier, and Having More Fun in Your 40s and 50s because I believe that and wanted to share my experiences with you and the experiences and conversations that I've had with so many incredible midlife males on the podcast. It's a must-read guide for those of us who are tired of the narrative that getting older means irrelevance. We have been fortunate enough to change thousands of lives through the weekly newsletter, this podcast, and over 200 conversations with top CEOs, athletes, chefs, authors, and other high performers. And the book, the pod, the newsletter, the movement itself, all is there to encourage men in midlife to strive for purpose and joy, to take action, ask questions, accept responsibility, embrace curiosity, and not only leave a legacy, but live a legacy today that our loved ones can proudly inherit. Today is the day to start boosting your confidence, accountability, and creativity. Today is the day to strip away the notions of traditional manhood and replace them with principles of openness and authenticity. Today is your day. The call to open up to being your best self and have a hell of a lot of fun in the process. So today is the day you answer that call. Head on over to Amazon, pick up your copy of the Midlife Mail, or go to midlifemail.com, 
You can grab a copy there. There's a link. You can subscribe. Make sure to this podcast, the newsletter every week. And let's keep the midlife male movement growing. And let's help you and all the midlife males out there to live better, longer, happier, healthier, wealthier, and have more fun in our lives. Who doesn't want that? All right, let's talk about this week's episode. Joey Thurman on the Midlife Mail podcast today. Joey Thurman is a wellness expert, TV host, author of The Minimum Method, nutrition expert, dad. Joey's got a lot going on. I really enjoyed this conversation with Joey. Uh, we were introduced and connected through Cameron A. House, our buddy over at Roan. Joey has worked with celebrities, A-list business people, parents, you know, CEOs, entrepreneurs. He's been in the fitness industry for f- over 15 years now. He's got the son. He's got a wife. He's got the life. He's devoted full-time to his family and fitness and his mission and his calling and truly understands what it is like to multitask. What I loved about this is that we also broke it down. He broke it down to what the minimum method actually is. Simple. It's strategic. It's tactical. It's quantifiable. It's tangible. It's the least you can do to be a stronger, healthier, happier you. Really great title, by the way, also. And the truth is that most people don't actually need grueling extreme workouts or aggressively limited diets to lose weight and feel proud to flaunt their bodies in bathing suits. What they need is a plan. Thank you. A plan that is focused on efficiency, the best results for the least amount of time and effort, and one that is actually designed to be maintained for more than 30 days. It's a lifestyle. It's consistency. It's preparation. It's accountability. It's what we talk about week in and week out here. And getting experts like Joey on, reading the book, The Minimum Method, These are important things for us to be doing. These are important things for us to be taking on. And he doesn't shy away from the shortcomings of the mainstream health, fitness, diet industry. In fact, he acknowledges and talks about his own past experience in perpetuating certain harmful myths that everyone should be pushing their bodies to the limit in order to improve. Talked a lot about the hustle and grind, sleep when I'm dead mentality. Now he's on this mission to help others prioritize genuine health instead of some imaginary and unattainable standard of perfection. It's a refreshing viewpoint. It is a much needed viewpoint. And let's get into Joey Thurman, the minimum method on how to adopt a healthier mindset and lifestyle. Let's do it. You're going to get the key to better health using small, easy changes that add up to huge life-altering results. Joey Thurman, Midlife Mail Podcast. Let's go. Joey Thurman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. I, I am approaching midlife. Is that, I mean, what's your midlife definition? Yeah, great question. Comes up a lot. Um, you know, and and here's my my most frequent response to that. I don't know. 
Okay, and cool. I'll tell you why. I know some really, really old 30-year-olds, and I know some super, super young, you know, 60-year-olds right now. Now, if we want to listen to men's health, I know you guys can't see this at home, but he's wearing the, the mental healthy Roan shirt, men's health collab, you know, right there. According to men's health, they're saying 37 based on a life expectancy of 76. Oh, I, I got to talk to my buddy, Ab Samuel, about that one. I think we, we should bump that one up because you do all the right things that life, that's an average. So I think, I think your listeners right now, they're going to go way past that 74-ish. So I agree with that too. You know, now you look at, we chatted a little bit before we started rolling, 53 million or so middle-aged men in the U.S. alone. You know, what are we really talking about here? But I think the conversation, you, your buddy, M, it's all about how can we reframe you know, and redefine what midlife really looks like? You know? yep. Just really about, hey, our best days are in front of us and not behind us. It doesn't have to be a crisis. You know, that's kind of really where I go with the answer on it. Like, what does it mean? It means what you make of it in a way. I like that. Yeah. So this is about you. This is great to have you here talk about, you know, your your career, your journey, what you're up to now, the work that, that you're doing. So thank you so much for, for being here. I've been excited about this for, for a while. It popped up on the calendar. I'm like, yep. Yeah, <laughs> I've been excited too, man. You know, it, it, I always believe in just, you know, looking right now. And I say always, I, I've, I've started changing my mindset to looking to the present right now. And the present is you and me just, you know, two dudes talking, help, helping some more dudes, some more bros, some, uh, some more chicos, whatever you want to say, right? Like I, I'm really excited just to, you know, spread the word to people. And um, it's nice that you're paying it forward. So I appreciate that. No, it, it's my pleasure. So I like, I get into kind of the details and geek out on some of the details. You know, you took a swig of, of, of water as we were talking here and yeah. it's an Essentia bottle, I think of water, but it's, what is it, green or whatever? So I've got a little bit of cold brew coffee in here. So it was literally like, you know, this thing is, what is this? Like uh, 50 ounces. So it's creeping up on half a gallon for this big thing here. But yeah, I just put a little bit of cold brew in there. So I get a little caffeine pulse. So we can get into all that sort of stuff as opposed to just chugging it all in once. So, yeah. So what is your walk? Me through? Like, we'll start here. Here we are, yeah. you know, about 11 o'clock central time. We're doing this. What does your day typically look like? So typically when I'm in, I'm in Chicago, um, when I'm not traveling and doing TV and, and everything else. Uh, and I try to actually make my day relatively similar, whether I'm in New York, I'm LA or wherever I'm at um, in the country and sometimes the world. So uh, my typical day, I'm getting up around, you know, let's start with the night. Okay. Cause the night sets up the day, the day sets up the night. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to bed around nine or nine 30 consistently seven days a week. And I say this all the time. There's seven days in a week. There's not just five and you don't get all your sleep on Saturdays and Sundays. So I try to go to bed consistently around the same time within an hour. You know, it's a Saturday. Maybe you go to bed at 11 o'clock, normally 10 o'clock. So 9, 9.30, I'm in bed, hopefully asleep by 10 o'clock. And most nights easy, pass out. I've got an almost five-year-old boy now. And often I'm going to bed before he is. For anybody that has a child right now, um, you know, they know that how crazy bedtime is. So I'm often going to bed before he is. I'm asleep by hopefully 9.30. I'm up around 4.30 to 5 o'clock most days. So I'm getting four or five of my sleep cycles in, which is about an hour and a half, which is, you know, four to six is a great range, six to nine hours of quality sleep. Uh, I'm getting, yeah, getting up four thirty, five o'clock takes, I put on a hat, brush my teeth 
And I start driving downtown Chicago in the West Loop and I'm about 45 minutes away and I try to beat traffic. So I'm there by 6 a.m. Sometimes I'll have a 6 a.m. client. I only have a few in-person clients and I'll get my workout in. I'll have my coffee about an hour into my drive or, and we can get into the reasons for that. Um, about an hour to 90 minutes into my drive, I get my workout in. Often my first client is around seven o'clock or I do some work as a I consult at this gym called Mo Gym in the West Loop of Chicago, real high-end gym with the 1,200-ish members. And I have 10 trainers below me. Uh, get my workout in and then you know train some people, do some work. And often I'll get another 20 or 30-minute workout in. I'm walking after every single meal if I can, whether it's hot outside or it's shivering cold outside, other you know metabolic pathways that you know help with that. And then I'm done, depending on the day, 5 to 7 p.m. I drive home. And I spend my bro time with my son, you know, cause he knows like it's, it's, uh, it's yes, quality and quantity matter, but I'd rather have the quality over the quantity time. So he gets 30 minutes to an hour, just playing with dad or Baba, as we say in Greek and play with him and maybe eat something and maybe veg out for an hour or two, sometimes get time with my wife. If she's not, you know, hanging out with the boy and I rinse and repeat. And even when I go to New York and do TV in LA, I try to you know, regulate that circadian rhythm as much as possible. I get that sunlight in the morning. So it tells me regulates to my clock and the time zone I'm in and all these little things, uh, the minimum habits can truly get you maximum results. And I found that, you know, beginning of 2020, we all kind of know what happened with the world shutting down. That was once I started dialing that in and I'm almost 40 years old now, I got the best results on my body and my mind than I ever had before. And my workouts became you know, more efficient. My sleep became better. My, my hormone response became better. I added more muscle tissue. I dialed in my diet even more in my mind. So uh, finding what works for you in that context and have that kind of thought life cycle as I talk about is key. When you go through it, I mean, the perception can be like, okay, this sounds like a lot. It yeah. sounds, you know, extremely regimented, extremely disciplined and so on. And I don't, necessarily subscribe to the to the belief that the perception is really the reality. What I'm what I'm getting at here is also the, like the trade-off. So what did in a way, what are some of the things maybe that you you gave up to make room for this? And also kind of how you know you feel with it in terms of like, okay, this is actually really doable. Like guys, if you think mm-hmm. about walking after you eat or you think about kind of consciously when we should be taking in our caffeine or our coffee. And I do want to get back to that because I'm yes. I'm still making, I think I'm making some mistakes there and whether I can work around that, you know, and kind of what gets in and then what do you keep out by setting boundaries to this? Yeah. Um, so it, it's funny that what I used to do like late at night and like, oh, I, I got to watch my you know, Game of Thrones. That was kind of back, you know, in the day and I had to catch up on that episode or make that up or um, spend an hour or two with my wife at night. So I think those things, those little bit, those things kind of suffer like a little bit less time with my wife because she's putting him down and you know he wants his mom at night to kind of get him to sleep. And then she needs her time to unwind as well. So we're kind of two ships passing in the night, but on the weekends, you know, when I've got more time or I can make my own schedule, when I do like a, you know, a big PR trip or TV hosting, whatever I'm doing, I'll take an extra day or two. I'll take a half day and I'll say, Hey, I'm going to have to check my email every now and then, but I put my phone away I out of sight. It's not necessarily out of mind, but it's out of sight, you know, because like that's, you can't, you, you, you can't quiet the mind sometimes, but 
put the phone away and spend the time and go for a walk, do whatever, you know, with my family and get that time. So I truly try to be as present as possible then. And I let them know, or if I've got emails coming in, I'm going to have to check it every now and then. So I let them know kind of how my day is going to be. So that suffered um, a little bit, but in the, in turn, I've looked at the silver lining and things and how, okay, I, I can, I get to spend that time with them right now. I get to see my son when Jim shut down, I lost, you know, multiple six figures and for not being able to travel. Okay. I get to see my son in the morning, wake up and run down the hallway when we were living downtown Chicago, the boss home, he's here, he's here. You know, I didn't get that if the world didn't shut down. It's like, wow, this is amazing. I got to see him go to sleep. I got to see him grow up those 18 to 20 ish months that I would not have had. So that's precious to me. And anybody that has children, they know what it is. And and I know you, you got your son. Like if you have a child or many children, you know what it is like for your heart to live outside of your body. So I've really started to put that into perspective and that has helped me out tremendously. So I don't necessarily think, think things have suffered. I think I'm better for it. I'm better mentally for it. I was diagnosed with clinical depression at 14 years old. I talk about that on national TV and you know, I'm, I'm an open book with closed chapters. We're always writing our story and we can choose our own path. As I even talk about this in my book, my son has a book called what would Danny do? So I don't know if you've read this. Have you read this? I, I haven't read it, but as you say, like I, I wrote an article and it's called what would Carlos do? Okay. This kind of pseudo real imaginary guy that I have that always seems to be making the right decisions and leading life the same way. And yeah. I wrote this article about it. So long as I just ask myself, like, what would Carlos do in this situation? <laughs> Not what Greg would do, but yeah. what Carlos would do, I'm going to make a better call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, very good. Very good. All right. So Carlos or Greg or Joey or Danny, right? So my son's name is Frederick. So if he reads this book, and um, he goes through and, you know, it's like Danny has breakfast and his, you know, little brother's with him. And does he share with his brother or does he get mad? And you choose what happens. And then in, the, in there, all of a sudden, like maybe Frederick picks like, oh, he throws his cereal on his brother. I don't know. That's not the exact reference in the book. Right. And then you see what happens and the consequences from there. But the interesting thing is Danny always can make another decision to make that bad moment a good thing. So he can learn from that. So in life, we're always writing our own chapters. We're writing our own books. So can you think about that? If you just look at your life like that, as it's a never ending story, your novel is never complete. So you can have bad moments, bad days, bad years, bad decades, but you can still pick up that proverbial pin, slay your own dragon and write your next chapter. So Carlos and Danny and Greg and Joey, we can keep on writing. I mean, I think it's so, I think it's so good. Uh, and I think you, you, you nailed it in terms of, you know, yes, I do these things and this is what my day, and this is again, what my schedule looks like. And this is how I'm going to decisions that are there. And as you were saying this, I start thinking about, again, some of the pushback that, you know, I'm sure you hear some of the questions and the things I want to get into, Hey, you write, you know, it's staring at me in the, the minimum method. Well, this doesn't, does it sound minimum? This sounds like like a lot. But if you think about it, again, realistically, and guys out there, you're already doing a lot. I say this about consistency. You guys will say to me like, oh, you're consistent. You're not, well, you're consistent too. You might, again, be consistently making poor choices. You might think this is a lot, but by the way, you're already doing a lot. Go back to, you're watching your Game of Thrones. You know, you're staying up late. You're socializing and doing like when you add up all the things that you're doing, I think where you're also getting is it's not what you're doing. 
as much as it is what you're not doing, mm-hmm. there's yeah. room for all of it, yeah. way more room and more time and more space, quite frankly, than we actually need. It's again, what are we doing you know, with it? Because you can't do it all. That's right. the other the reason it seems like so much is because you can't do it all. You can't stay up until one o'clock in the morning, binge watching Game of Thrones and be up at five o'clock in the morning or, so, or whatever it is to get your work at. At some point, that's going to you know, combust. Yeah. And that's, that's what they call that sleep revenge. You know, people are like, oh, I need to have my time to get in my Game of Thrones and game, whatever. So when I describe my day, you're right. That seems like a lot. But I didn't all of a sudden one day decide, decide to do this all at once. I started with, okay, let's start with consistent sleep. Can I do that? And then I uh, learned about the cortisol awakening response, not to have, you know, coffee 60 to 120 minutes before waking up because that cortisol pulse is natural, right? So then also not having to have coffee. And as I first wake up in the, in the morning, maybe I can delay it. So then I started doing that after the sleep got on point, then, okay. I suppose the thinking I need to get an hour of workout in a day. If I have 20 minutes, I'm going to hit 10 or 20 sets in 20 minutes. Now I'm fortunate enough to be at a gym. But, you know, I've got 10 minutes later on the day. Let me get, I don't know, five sets of bicep curls in right before my meal. That will help open up. It's called a glute four transporter. So we're like carbohydrates. Anything you take in from your meal will be absorbed more readily. Very easy. It's called exercise snacking or as I say, burst workouts. So those little things I started adding at a minimum and that became the maximum. So because people always look at like, oh, it's so much. And, and you're looking at everything, the totality there. It's like when somebody, if somebody starts taking a hundred different supplements and Greg, you start feeling better on a hundred supplements. How do you know which one worked? What if you were just magnesium deficient, which 70% of you know, Americans are, mm-hmm. and you just started with magnesium Man, it crushed it. Okay. You just saved $300 in supplements a month. I mean, so always saving that ace up your sleeve. If you're playing cards, like always have something ready to go. So add one thing at a time, as opposed to taking away, there was a unique study done by the university of Michigan, standard American diet, full on process, highly processed foods. So think chips and sodas and all that sort of stuff. So they gave two groups here, eat these processed foods. And one group for two weeks, it said, eat these processed foods as much as you want, but add these whole fruits, fruits, vegetables, you know, um, you know, good quality sources of protein. The group that just added, instead of focusing on what they took away, ate 500 less calories every single day because they added. And in turn, they were fuller. They felt better, probably better microbiome health, better regularity, and they ate less of the processed crap. So what if you started thinking, you midlife men, what can I add to my day as opposed to take away? Mm. One Go blue, because that's where I went to school. So I'm sure that this study is spot on accurate. You know, right there. <laughs> there you go. And two, you're killing me with the coffee thing. Okay. Because... <laughs> All right. So then, let's, I, I can get into that if you want. What, what that it is, is, right? part of, I do. I do want to understand it. And then I want yeah. to get into, again, the actual minimum method, kind of the impetus to writing the book and so on. And so a lot, a lot of ground to cover. But walk me through the coffee thing, because sure. I will say, and guys out there, here's the deal. Like, I listen and I'm trying to learn the same way you guys are out there. Kind of take the information in, figure out whether this can actually work for me, mm-hmm. something I should do. And you're saying, kick out the stuff that doesn't, you know? And how do we, again, make decisions and decide? Now, I'll tell you, I wake up, first thing I do is my coffee ritual. 
that's what mm, I love my pour over. I love the process. I sure. grind the bean. Okay. My wife, my, my son used to be sons. Now one's in college are still sleeping. You know, I let the dogs out. I do get my sunshine, you know, air. Good, good. but this is like a 30 minute process for yep. me. So yeah, maybe that, I don't know if it's enough time, but it's about 30 minutes, you know, to heat water, do the pour over, do the beans, do the whole thing. It kind of, but then I drink coffee. Look, mm-hmm. I do hydrate first. So 20 ounces of water. I got my athletic greens. My creatine is in there. That's basically yeah. all I do. But caffeine, I need yes. my coffee, or at least I think I do when I first wake up, because that's what I have gotten accustomed to over time. Sorry. Why, sure, am, I, all... why am I buying? Okay. Where am I going wrong? I'm going to break this down for you. Uh, so caffeine, I have no problem people having caffeine by any means, but caffeine works. And there's a lot of positive benefits to caffeine where it's exercise capacity, cognition. There's even research saying that it helps with um, depression and anxiety and it makes you feel good, of course. Right. But when you're having so much caffeine and like, let's say, you know, Greg, let's say 6am is your first cup of coffee and at six at one, you got a headache and you're angry. Okay, you're probably having a little too much caffeine. Caffeine works by uh, uh, blocking adenosine receptors. Adenosine builds up, you know, throughout the evening and night to kind of make you more more sleepy, along with melatonin. They work kind of in conjunction and parallel with each other. And as adenosine builds up, uh, it'll make you sleepy. But caffeine will blunt that adenosine response. So when that caffeine half life is over with, when it's kind of out of your system and you get that crash, all of a sudden you've got this flood of adenosine in your system and you're tired. Right. So if you could take a nap or something, sure, you could do that, but keep it within an hour and a half. Um, so your one sleep cycle there. Okay. Fine. Go ahead and do that. If that nap will make you, you know, less sleepy and not fall asleep at night, skip the nap and kind of push through. All right. So we do that. So there's something called the cortisol awakening response. It's cortisol. People always associate cortisol with just like negativity and like, oh my God, cortisol is be elevated, we store fat, blah, blah, blah. Cortisol is a, a hormone for a reason. And it's supposed to spike in the morning. And it's this slow pulse, if you will. And that spikes to wake you up naturally. So what happens if you have caffeine to wake you up? What do you think is going to happen with that pulse? It's going to blunt it. So if we can delay it, I tell people in the book 60 minutes, but research says even up to 90 to 120 minutes. And that seems like a lot for most people. But for you, maybe you go to bed 15 minutes earlier, right? And you wake up. 15 minutes earlier. So all of a sudden now your, your caffeine is 45 minutes and you do that for a week or two. And then you try to get another 15 minutes of sleep and you delay that caffeine again. And then it's 60 minutes. Maybe you take a little bit longer walk. Now you want to get a pre-workout in, you're working out in the morning. I have no problem. People just drinking their caffeine when they first wake up to make sure that, you know, 30 minutes, that kind of caffeine spike, if you will, is ready to go for the pre-workout, but just be aware if you're working out and you're doing that, you're probably going to experience that crash a little bit harder in the afternoon from the caffeine. So if you delay the coffee, let's just say coffee. And when I say coffee, I mean, caffeine people, if you delay that and your beautiful pour over and your ritual and then rituals are amazing. So have that ritual. That's, that's good for your mind and your body, right? Physiology and psychology, they're connected. So we do that. You delay your ritual a little bit, then maybe you won't need that extra cup of coffee later on in the day. So the day when you don't get enough sleep, you've got some you know, big report or something, guys listening out there, then you utilize that extra caffeine response. And the amount of caffeine that you should have in one sitting is one to three milligrams per kilogram. So I'm about 90 kilograms, so 2.2. So take your body weight times by 2.2 to get to kilograms, 90 kilograms. 
I'm about 250 to 270 milligrams in one caffeine dose, if you will. And that's each sitting. It's not like 250 and 250 in the same hour. And you got that, you got 500 or 750. If I had 250, you know, it's an hour after working, after waking up in the morning. And in the afternoon, I had another 250. That's probably a good range for you. And remember, this is an average. So if you don't, if you're not a big caffeine drinker, go more towards one. If you drink a lot, you probably go more towards three or even upwards of four, depending on, you know, your tolerability. So that's the morning delayed caffeine thing right there. So you could just start with that. But if it's sleep over the caffeine, get to sleep first. Mm-hmm. Just try not to have it, you know, in the afternoon because, you know, that core life of caffeine is still going to be eight hours or so. So it's still in your system, you know, hours and hours afterwards, even if you're going to sleep and you think that you're sleeping soundly, it's going to limit slow wave sleep, REM sleep, and deep sleep. You're not getting into those cycles as well, even though you are asleep, it's not quality sleep. Do you track that stuff? At this point, or do you go on feel and stuff now? You know, so, yeah. Now, now I go off a of field because I think sometimes wearables, and you can look at even like the calorie trackers and stuff. They could be fifty to ninety percent off. It's crazy. You know, I do think like a, like a Whoop or an Aura, I think are a little bit better now for tracking the sleep, and they can tell like if you're moving more and stuff too. But um, I found I became a slave to those wearables. You know, if it's like um, I'm tracking my you know, VO2 max and I'm trying to you know your maximum oxygen consumption. And you can literally just do, there was a study done on soccer players. Once every two weeks, if you just did a VO2 max run at 87 to 90% of your heart rate for four minutes, take a four minute breather and you do five rounds of that, just once every two weeks, that'll maintain your maximum oxygen consumption. And if you want to get, get higher, you do that. But I'm not going to sit there and have to look at my watch and wear a heart rate monitor and check the treadmill. What I'm doing is looking at my breath rate. Could I hold a conversation with somebody? Am I out of breath? okay, I'm probably around 90% of my max heart rate. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need to sit there and do a formula. Now, you've, yeah, now you're a division one athlete, you're a professional athlete. Other people will be tracking that for you. And tracking is really good when that is concerned. But I think sometimes people would just you know, become bound by this. Or you know, it's nice to be science-based, but don't necessarily be science-bound. Mm, I like that a lot, which is a great segue into oh, something, the minimum method. Again, I think... We get we get caught up, especially you know one of the guys that I work with and guys they're already overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. There's already you know the plate's full, if you will. Like yeah, maybe we need to talk about what's on the plate, you know, and and you know, that's but they are they're coming in overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. They're coming in with a lot there. You know, they've got careers or and you know jobs and and families, and you start thinking about okay, you know, finances and family obligations and the calendar and the schedule and friends and things you want to do, and then where does your fitness fit in, and then where does your nutrition or how you're eating fit in, and all. It's, and when you start getting into some of the things you're talking about, and you get into whether it's calculations or you get into tracking, or you get it, it just seems and it feels like so much more work. And we're already overworked and we're already stressed and we already feel like we're doing too much, but yet we're not doing enough, you know? So I'd love to understand a little bit the impetus behind, you know, you're writing the book, you know, like what drove you the book and, and explain as we'll get into some, you know, on, you know, what actually is the minimum method and why is it so important? Yeah. So what I wanted to do is you know, one, I've been working with people since 2006, uh, grew up playing soccer and hockey, hockey through college. So athlete my whole life. And when you're at that level of competitiveness, 
you're always driven. That's why one of the, some of the best people as a train were like CEOs who were played like a sport or high level, whether individual sport or team sport. I'm like, I could always pull that from them. I don't care if they're 30 years removed from high school or college football, mm -hmm. you could always, they've got that in there somewhere. So that like, that's great. You could pull that motivation from them. But for writing this book, I took several hundred studies and looked at it and looked at all of my, you know, anecdata, my anecdotal research based off of all of my clientele, what worked for them? What are these common questions I'm getting? And a lot of people had the same questions. Like there's so much information out there. How do I look at that? I'm told to do all this sort of stuff and have these optimizations and practices in the morning and breath work and, and do meditation and work out. And it just becomes too much and overwhelming. And their plate was overfilled, you know, to use your terminology there. So I looked at what the research said, what the totality of research said, and not just some random study and said, okay, what has worked for myself? What has worked for my clientele? Does the research back up what I'm thinking? And then I kind of put it in there like, okay, what's the minimum you need for sleep? What's the minimum thing you can do? So that's why I've got these like three um, minimum um, method kind of like archetypes or minimum mentalities in there. It's so like, you know, Greg, if you're the person that you're like, oh, I just need to, I just need to get off the couch. I need to find the starting line. And where do I start for sleep, for gut health, for, for nutrition, for mindset, for cognition, I can flip open to just that chapter. Don't even worry about the other chapters. If you can read it cover to cover, amazing. It's set up like that. But if you just want to sleep open to that chapter, I also wrote it for that. And at the end of each chapter, there's protocols. So you want to skip reading that whole chapter and just go to the last three pages. If you're a let's go, that's that person that's trying to get off the couch to the starting line. Here's the things that you can do for your sleep, for your nutrition, for everything else, right? And then like, okay, I've, I've been doing those things, but let me add a little bit more, all right? You're just going to level up a little bit. So do everything in the let's go and add a little bit more. Okay, now, if you're that person that's you're already doing everything and you're that biohacker or whatever, and you want to max out, all right, do everything in the let's go do everything to level up and do everything in the max out. That's where people get it wrong because they just look at so much and to do everything. I got to do my sleep. I got to track this. I got to do this for exercise. I got to do this for this. I got to get my gut health in check, blah, 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 blah. You know, they look at like one study that says like, oh, my, my protein needs to be one gram per pound of lean body mass. And I need to hit this. I need to make sure I have five to seven meals a day. No, what really matters most, bro, is just your overall protein throughout the day. Can you hit that? Cool. Have you done that for a few weeks? Is it easy for you? Cool. Okay. Now let's try to break it down. Let's have 50 grams of protein per four meals. Got it. Do that. Okay. Next move on. Right. So we're tackling these things step by step. The minimum, as far as that protocol is concerned, will lead you to get to the maximum. Why is simple so hard for people? And even like, Overtraining, overcoaching, again, overreach, overdoing it. When you know, when I talk to guys like you out there, uh, this let's call it this this group of experienced, if you will, individuals, like-minded individuals, it really all comes back down to simplicity. You know, can we take you to the complex and can we make it simple? The fundamentals, the basics, and then when we think about from a business, you know, standpoint, people. They want the maximum right away out of their out. You know, like, hey, if I'm coming to this class and I'm paying 30 bucks, I want it to kill me, you know, basically in there. Or if I'm going to go on the change my, my nutrition, right? it's got to be all the way here or there. Why is simple or the minimum so hard for people? We're built up in this world where one, we want instant gratification. So often people are like, oh, I, I've, I've got to do this. I got to do so much. I have to change everything. 
and and as a society, that's where we're at now. Everybody thinks we need to do so much crazy stuff and add these different things and go to five fitness classes a week. You know what? If you haven't worked out in 30 years since high school football, how about one full body lift a week? Well, what, what do you mean? One full body lift and explain to them. Here's the thing. You volume load throughout the week. If hypertrophy or muscle growth is your goal here, maybe you only need five sets per body part per week and you can knock that out in one workout. Well, why would I want to do that? In high school, I did five days a week. Okay. Do you want your a body to adapt too fast and then plateau? Or do you want to do the minimum amount right now and still get results and slowly add? Okay. Maybe it's five sets for three, you know, three months. And then it's 10 sets per body part for another three months because you're still going to adapt. Why would you want to adapt so fast and then plateau and then have to add more and more and more and more and eventually become overwhelmed? So often I think it's education. And this happens in like, I've got so many certifications behind my name. I can't even remember. Like I'll go to a certification like, oh, you got to do this and this 12 minute warm up, and this and this and this. Okay. But what, what's that one linchpin that I can find? Okay. If people are like taking a squat, for example, you know, and they don't have the ankle mobility, could I sit there and do some release techniques and some towel cruel joint, like mobilization stuff and blah, blah, blah. Sure. I could do that. Or right now I could put a plate under their heels and automatically give them ankle mobility. Boom, move to that. And then have them do some homework on the end. You know, we're just looking at so much and you're trying to get in these things, especially the certifications, like they want to differentiate themselves, which is great. And it's amazing to have all, all that information. But most individuals don't have an hour to themselves a day. And if they do getting to the gym, that's what I tell all my trainers, like think about that individual. Did they have a red-eye flight? You know, are they a CEO, a multimillionaire? And did they have a red-eye flight and didn't get any sleep the night before? Ask him, like, hey, how, how was your night? How was your sleep? How was your stress? Are you going to load up 300 pounds in a back squat because he thought there were going to be leg day? Or are you going to say, man, Greg, you're stressed out, man. Let's do some biceps. Let's do some bro splits because that's not as systemically demanding for you. So we're looking at the context of the individual. And you can do the same thing in your life. And that will help that overall stress load. Mm, I think that's so good and so often ignored. I was making a note of that as you were talking, the context of the individual mm, is so often overlooked. And I, again, this comes up, especially with guys that have let themselves go, that are trying to get it back. Mm? And you don't want to be defeated. You know, you don't want to be set up to fail. You want to be set up obviously for, for success. And they try to go back and here's what we see a lot. And I'm not trying to make it an ageist thing at all, but if you get a trainer, you know, 25 year old single trainer, whatever it is, that the context of a 29 year old single trainer view is very different. Okay. From the context of life of a 50 year old married guy with a career, you know, a couple of kids, a house, a mortgage, cars in the driveway, college to pay for, whatever it may be. He said the context that that guy is walking into the gym with or the facility with is so different. The recovery time, everything, the sleep, the stress, the anxiety, that's again, that's all in the bucket and mm -hmm. often gets so overlooked at, oh, you should be doing the same workout as, you know, either everybody else I trained, you know, that day, or you should be measuring yourself up against that squat or that press or anything, you know, and we all like to keep score, you know, guilty to an extent, sure. whether that's, you know, again, career, you know, like we're all comparison, yes, thief of joy, but we're all kind of, you know, guilty of looking around. And again, as you said, looking for instant gratification or everyone's posting their workouts in their car or whatever. 
But we really do have to look at it in the context of the individual. And what is our measure of success? Like, what are we aiming for on this stuff? I think it's, it's such a good point. The Midlife Mail podcast would not be possible without the support of some incredible brand partners. I only recommend brands I use, believe in, and trust. And each brand was handpicked by me for a specific reason. I believe in these guys, not just because they're great companies with great people behind them, but because the stuff works. I use these to stay at my peak, and I suggest you do too. So go over to midlifemail.com and click on special offers for exclusive Midlife Mail discounts and promotions. I want to talk to you about your process. Mm-hmm. So correct me if I think this is your first book, right? So it's my second book, but first from a major publisher. The first one was self-published. So let's just say first big book, if you will. Okay. So again, a lot on your plate, you know, you already have your set, your way of, you said, Hey, I want to write a book. What you say? Never wrote a book before. Again, now I'm into getting, trying something new, you know, right. I'm going to do something new. For whatever the perception is, you guys think like, Hey, we can just crank out books and crank out. Like, no, I'm going to do something new that you haven't done before. What was your process from the time that you committed said, okay, I'm going to become an author now. Idea to execution. Take me and when, how did you reverse engineer back into how you made it fit, what you did in your process to get something done? Yeah. So for this one, I was able to, well, one, I've got uh, my buddy, Dr. Ian Smith, who's been on the, he was the host of the doctors for a while. He's been on, he's been on everything. So he kind of pushed me a little bit. He's like, Hey, you need to write another book, but you need to get it published. You need to get a literary agent. I'm like, Oh man, so much like just, just that process right there just to, to get an agent to represent you, to write a pitch, to go to a major publisher, to have well, Zoom meetings with you know three different publishers, to getting the offer. It was just, that was exhausting there. But what I realized at that point is like, so the world was still you know kind of shut down beginning of COVID. I said, okay, I have the time now. So what can I put into myself right now and get out of it? Because am I ever going to have this time again? So what is that silver lining right now in this moment for me in my life? I probably will never have this time again that was kind of forced on me. So let's do something with it. So I was talking to a buddy, like, you know, the, the smartest person in the room is really the CEO. The smartest person in the room is one of the people that he hires or she hires, you know, to do those jobs. So then I talked to my buddy who's this big marketing company and Kevin Hosworth. And I was like, hey, man. I need to do a book, but I don't want to do any standard book. And you know, my first book with me shirtless and ripped on the cover and like for that max out person, you know, this one, I'm like, I want to write it for that person is just struggling. And he's like, what about something with like just the minimum? He goes, but you're so good at taking all of this research and putting it into a digestible manner, I guess, pun intended, depending on the nutrition chapter and then talking about it there. So then like, well, it was originally called the bare minimum. And then, you know, we kind of changed the method, uh, the, the name of it. So then I kind of came up with that. And then I found an agent, you know, and she's like, oh, great. You know, then we pitched all this sort of stuff. And then once I kind of got the book deal and um, a small advance, like, okay, I have the time now. So what can I do? Do I have the time to sit there and research and write this whole thing all on my own and edit it and whatever? It's like, no. Okay. I'm going to take 60% of my advance and hire a private editor. So I hired um, Casey Main Connett, by the way, she's great. And I said, hey, I'm going to word vomit a chapter. I need you to kind of help me like 
piece this together, flip it around, pose questions, and I'll answer those questions. So that's what we did for six months because I knew I didn't have the time or the mental capacity. So I reached out for help and like, let me take that advance, use most of it. Then from there, I needed the illustrations done. Okay, let me, you know, talk to my buddy, Frank Martinelli. And he wrote, I'm like, I want these illustrations to be done like a cartoon format. You know, so, so people see them like, oh, it's not intimidating. And I want a more meme worthy. So it's like 50 something illustrations that kind of back up every chapter in the book. So there I realized I reached out for help. And I think after paying my agent and after all that, I think I made like 1500 bucks on the advance because I knew it wasn't about that advancement in money, but this is so good for so many individuals that when the profit share comes, when I make back the advance, then I can go through that. So I went through it truly from a step-by-step process and realized like, what am I weak in and where can I acknowledge my weaknesses? And that right there is kind of your step for anything in business and fitness and whatever, right? So if you're a big power lifter, what are you not doing? Probably not doing some mobility or some yoga or Pilates, sprinkle that in there. Not only good for the body, but for the brain and neuroplasticity too, because you're leaning into something that's a little bit harder for you. So what are your weaknesses? I, I found those pain points. And I hired the people to help me with that. So when I turned in the first copy of the book, the first draft, like, wow, this is great. It's put together very well. I'm like, yep. I wasn't lying. Like, oh, I just did it all on my own. No, like I, I hired Casey. She took care of a lot of things for me. She made it sound better. She made it piece together better. You know, still all my own words, but like put it together. So reach out for help when you need, um, and just be aware of where you're at in your, in your day, in your life. And, what can you fit in? So I knew I had the time then uh, to write the book. I think again, it, it, it's so good. Um, but what also jumps out a little bit there too is, is the notion that yes, you acknowledge kind of where your weaknesses are mm-hmm, or were, what your capacity was or bandwidth was to allocate time, energy, resources, you know, where your strength, weakness are, so on and so forth, you know, taking a really analytical approach. And I always talk about running your life like you run your business in a Uh way like, okay, what do I need to do here? But then what jumps out also is, I don't think it's always about, and I think some people get hung on up on this, and I'd love your take. It's not always about strengthening your weaknesses. It is as something as, you know, you're emphasizing your strengths as you're doing this project. So they're all your own words, which is your strength. They're all your own ideas. They're all your own concepts, but it's not like you just like, I'm going to go learn to illustrate. Hmm? Like that's what I, in there too. So there is a difference between, okay, from a CEO capacity or thinking like that, where there's an entrepreneur or, you know, the puppeteer, we're just pulling the strings here. I'm going to get an illustrator. That's not something I'm going to do, or I'm not going to invest time and energy to learn how to become an illustrator. I can get one you know, there. I do think there's sometimes guys get tripped up on, I need to strengthen that weakness. I need to work versus, you know, can I delegate that or can I hire out for that? And can I double down on where I'm strong? Like miss, I guess, misguided in the goal. The goal is not to become an illustrator. The goal is to get illustrations in my book that represent the ideas and the words and what I'm trying to do, you know, with the book. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that right there helped me out the most because you, you can't be an expert in everything. And I think nowadays, especially with social media and everybody, like they're almost afraid to say that they don't know the answer or when somebody actually has valid points and backs up multiple studies or anything, or like they've been doing it for years. Like, no, I should know this. I should, I, I, oh my God, I'm wrong. The strongest person is going to say that they're wrong or they don't know how, or that they need help. 
you know, take that in business or personal training or anything like that. I, I tell you know, all of my trainers to say, if you don't know an answer, don't pretend. Seek out the answer. Tell your client, like, I don't know right now, but I will find out for you. Oh, oh, there's Joey. He's he's got a nutrition, you know, certification. So, like, I'll talk to you, you know, or he'll, you can talk to him about that. I will find the answer for you. I will refer out to a functional medicine doctor, something like that, because I'm not a hormone guy. You know, all that sort of stuff. People respect you more when you say that you can't, but you can find out, as opposed to just like spitting out verbal diarrhea and trying to figure that out. You can't be an expert at everything. It's impossible. When did you learn that? I, <laughs> it, took me, it took me a long time. Uh, so it, as far as like the, the fitness world, I started doing that a little bit. Like, okay, wait, wait a minute. So I got this personal training thing. I got out of college, played hockey. Okay, I know how to work out. All right, let me train people. Okay, now I need to know a little bit more about, about nutrition. So I always sought out mentors around me. And often they found me. And I would say, be coachable. You always need to be coachable. That's why I like hiring a 19-year-old kid straight out of high school who's like, you know, worked out or played sports. And maybe he doesn't have the degrees and everything, but they're often more coachable than that 40-year-old guy who thinks they know everything and they, they, they can't learn. The point when you think you know everything, you know nothing. And let that sink in. Because that's one of the best things an old boss, Mark Cohen, ever told me. If you think you're the expert and you think you know everything, you're closed off. You absolutely know nothing. I'm going to hold you to that one. Okay. So the 40-year-old guy who thinks he knows everything. Okay. Now you're like right in our sweet spot. Like, uh -huh. okay, been there, been the guy. Now I'm about to be a 50-year-old guy. Okay. Who knows nothing? <laughs> who thought he, who still at 40, 50, whatever, who thought he knew everything now continues to realize he knows nothing. So let me keep talking to smarter people out there and continue to learn. And I've learned one thing. If you bring a mic, some people typically show up, you know, because they like that in there too. So here we are again. You're a 40 year old guy who thinks he knows everything or thought he knew everything. And now he's at a spot where maybe he's coming to the conclusion of the realization, maybe I don't. Is it too late, you know, to change? You know, where do I start? How do I make a shift in mindset? I'll go to the other. What is the minimum methodology maybe that I need to start applying to make changes in my life? when I realized I'm not where I want to be or thought I was going to be. And again, there's so much out there and I don't know where exactly, you know, I should start. Well, yeah, you, you made a very poignant point. You recognized that recognition is the first step. So you're like, Oh, I don't know right now. Okay. You recognize that. And that that's the first step in changing right there. I mean, look at any, you know, AA or any recovery thing, they, they, like the recognition and understanding that, that you have a problem. That, that, that's reason that's a, it's a completely valid. So understand that you don't know anything in this particular subject right there. And then look around you, like the closest people around you. Is there anybody that can help you with that? Or do they know somebody and seek out that help? You know, what, whatever it is, look at the experts that are closest to you or somebody that has been there before. So surround yourself with those intelligent people and then ask for that advice. Ask if they have some resources, if they have some extra time. One thing that I did years ago is I said I would never turn down a meeting. And I haven't since then, even if I know that they're trying to sell me something. I can, I can, you can always cut out of it and say, hey, call the call short, whatever. But you never know that person that you talk to who they are going to know 
or they may help you out with, or two years from now, like, Hey, I remember I had a conversation with Greg. Oh, okay. Like let's, let's refer, refer out. So I think right there, having that open mind recognition, have the open mind and then talk to those people closest to you, seek their help out first, because they're going to, that you probably never reached out for help for them. He's like, Oh man, you're the guy, you're 40 year old guy. You know, everything. Now you're asking for my help. They're going to be honored. they will be more willing to help you. Because I see this all the time, especially with the younger generation. I found like the old guy, oh, back in my day, right? Uh, is, is that, you know, they will meet somebody right away and immediately ask for something. You haven't developed that relationship. You haven't facilitated that relationship. Mm. So if you're the 40-year-old guy, you probably have, you know, 15, 20 years, if not more of a relationship with whatever the individual is that you're going to ask for help. And they're like, oh my God. I've been waiting years for you to like realize that and ask me for help. I would love to help you. I'm going to take a day off. We're going to go here. We're going to learn. We're going to go to the seminar with you. They're going to be so honored to help you. And then from there, you can start paying it forward. Yeah, that's another, like, that's another good one that just lands hard. Also about this, you know, give without the expectation of receipt, you know, or also, you know, coming in hot and heavy and asking before you've and asking, not only asking, but then expecting before you've actually you know, earned anything or established any relationship or established any, any depth. Um, I think it's such a good one. So now I want to touch on, on, on two things, because I think they're, they're somewhat connected to, to, to what you said, you know, there one, how do you kind of deflect okay, or work around that asker, you know, before, before they've earned. And I get this, you know, a lot too of, Hey, let's collaborate. You know, I know sure. Or, or let's oh my God. <laughs> jump on this thing, you know, or again, do you have a few minutes of my time or, Oh man, how did he get Joey on the podcast? Or how did he get Bob Harper on the podcast? Or this guy, like mm. the part that maybe you're missing is 200 episodes. <laughs> yeah. The part that maybe you're kind of missing is 200 weeks mm-hmm. in a row mm-hmm. on this. The part that you're missing is the 1700 no's that got to the 20, you know, yes, yes, all of the, the other stuff. So I'm always very interested in how successful people who also smile and are well-received and nobody seems to have a bad word to say about them. How do you guys protect also boundaries, you know, neglect and rework it around that because there's no doubt when we get off this call, if you really did just turn around and open up your email, your social or whatever, I got to believe it's flooded with people that want shit from you all the time. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing, like when I was doing my podcast and I stopped it when I was writing this book is the first guests I had on were friends or personal relationships. So I made that ask and like, oh, yeah, of course I'll come on. You know, that was great. And then I started reaching out to these other people, like friends who knew friends. So that referral system, that's amazing. You know, like a referral, they're already sold. They're already ready to go. Like, uh, you know, my buddy, Alan Aragon got me and Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, like, you know, like, like, Hey, Alan, like, you know, Brad, can you, it's like, yeah, sure. I'll put in a word for you. And then like, oh, you know, you know, Alan, great. So that, that, that was kind of, I had those relationships and those relationships facilitated other relationships, but I get this all the time. People like ask right away. I'm just flat out honest with them. Like, really? I just met you. And you're, you're asking for something right now, you know? And, and I often, I do feel like they respect that. And like, I'm not rude about it by any means, but I'm like, Hey, you know, we're all talking like, Hey, uh, I, I can't make these certain posts. So these companies come up to me like, oh, I want to send you all these protein bars and stuff. I say, look, one, I would need to try them first. But two, I don't do anything that's not paid right now because 
I make money like this and this is a living for me. You know, part, part of my income is social media and TV and everything else. So, so I've got obligations and I've got contracts and I've got agents. And if they see that, like, oh, you're doing that for free and whatever, you know, um, you, know, you found me from Cameron, you know, so like right there, you already like, oh, I know Cam. Yeah, man, I'll go on your podcast. Of course. And I'm trying to promote a book. So let's obviously, you know, be real with that. But yeah, you've got to be honest with people and call them out often on their mistakes because, you know, like, hey, you told me you'd get this to me by Wednesday. Okay, it's Friday. Here you go. Like you said, you would get this done. So I think right now, like we're, we're a lot of us are way too sensitive and are, we get our feelings hurt if somebody calls us out on it. Well, that's your job. It was your job to get this to me. And you're the one that told me Wednesday and it's now Friday. I gave you two extra days. And are you upset with me? Are you projecting that you actually didn't come through and fulfill your promise? I think there's that, which is absolutely true. And I think we need a lot more of that. And I think the other side of it that you touched on in there is if you're not protective of your boundaries and you're not being honest and transparent, I mean, the reason you're two days late is because you're saying yet yeah, and doing things that you should not have been doing mm-hmm. in there. Because again, we want to be either the good, you know, the nice guy or yes, more than others, which leads me to the second point that you put out. Never turn down a meeting. Mm-hmm. I have, again, oh, just like with the coffee thing, open my eyes here a little bit. <laughs> Got small eyes to begin with. Open my eyes a little bit on this. Because I have taken, to a certain extent, over the last few years in particular, again, the opposite. I used to take everything. I was, I'm, I'm a pleaser by nature. Saying uh-huh. no is very difficult. Mm-hmm. You want 15 minutes, you'll get 15 minutes. It used to be you wanted lunch, you wanted that. I tried not to say no to, to anything. That came at a very high price, I found. Now I've taken away the opposite approach, which is really having, being more guarded and very, I will say, if you want, anyone can have a free call with me or whatever, you know, 15 minutes. So at least I can get out if it's going great or I want to, it can go long, so on and so forth, but much more protective and guarded of my time. So I don't, like, I wouldn't say I never turned down a meeting uh-huh. right now. The reality is I would say I turned down 99% of the meetings and inquiries that come in because time is the one resource I can't make mm-hmm. more of. And I don't have to do anything, not going fortunately now. I get to do things. Yep. So how choosy can I be? You know, But do I yeah, miss her? Sure, I do. Absolutely. So walk me through why you can say confidently, I don't ever turn down a meeting. Yeah. So I, I, I do say that. And you're right. Your yes is never as powerful until you learn to say no. So sometimes like during those meetings, I say no right away, but I've also allocated other people to handle some meetings for me and kind of be that filter. So let's, let's go back to the, like a protein bar company. Hey, talk to my agent. And then like, she'll like, Hey, she'll kind of vet these people. Right. So they're, they're talking to me indirectly, you know, whether it's my literary agent, my social media agent, my TV agent, like I get a lot of them or, or now my manager, I'll let him have those phone calls first. So that is me taking that meeting. So you're right. I've kind of allocated those resources a little bit and then they're vetting it for me, but they're also taking the meetings. That's also part of their job. So I, you know, I think when you can allocate those resources, same thing with me, you know, writing the book, hiring the editor, hiring whoever, I've learned to do that. And some people who like pitch right away and they're sending this whole thing. Here's what I need and blah, blah, blah. And here's what we're, we're going to give you free protein bars and we have no budget. Okay. That right there, that's my meeting. I'm good to go. No, thanks. You know, um, I kind of see through that, but yeah, for the most part, it's done very well for me, but the allocation of those resources, cause you're right. Time is the one thing you can't make up more of. So I've allocated that. You have this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wrong. 
Now you rattle, okay, I've got trainers that are working under that are under me here and this I have. Okay, obviously we're gonna be personal with your wife and, and with your son, but you have this team's out, okay, I've got this agent or that agent, manager and so on. What do you look for mm-hmm, in the team members? Mm-hmm. If you want, if I wanted to be on team Joey, what, what is sure. your criteria? How do you get onto the, what are you looking for in these, in, in these individuals? Because you empower them and you trust them and you listen to them. Yeah. Hey, if you're going to vet things for me, I'm expecting you to vet them in the same manner that I would vet them. So that when you tell me recommend or pass, mm-hmm, I would basically make the same decision. You know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, accountability is one is that they need to be accountable for themselves. They need to be accountable for their mistakes. I'm expecting them to make mistakes. I'm expecting them to get it wrong the first, you know, several times. Just don't repeat those mistakes. So they say, Hey, there, here's what I'm looking for, for, for a partner, for, for a brand, for whatever. I need to try these things out first ahead of time, blah, blah, blah. You know, so we, we go down that line. What is their expertise in? You know, are they, are they smarter than me in one area? Do they have more context? And then their workflow too with me, that matters a ton. Know how it's going to go. I've had three publicists in my life, and manager slash publicist now is the best one I've ever had. But the first three were terrible. I got rid of them right away because they just they weren't pulling their weight because they said they would do all of these things. I'm like, oh, hey, you said you would do that. Oh no, I'm working on this. And then like over and over again, I'm like, okay, this is this relationship is not working out. So we're not, you know, our team is not working together. So if you've got a business relationship, a, a client personal trainer relationship, like personality matters most. I've got a, I don't necessarily need to like you, but I, I need to respect what you do. Mm-hmm. It's great if I like you. It's great if we can be friends too. But if we're friends and we have a business relationship and that crosses over too much and that's affecting the business, like it's, it's number one for me right now, because I, I want to you know buy a home for my wife and, and son and she's got the hardest job in the world. She's taking care of him right now. And she's got that. So I'm like, here's the deal. Like, here's, here's my, here's my importance of things. You know, my son's got a, a preschool Christmas holiday pageant thing on, you know, the 14th of December, which would be this, this has already happened by the time people listen to this. But I told my manager, I said, you know, I was going to do some national TV. I said, I go, look, if somebody wants me to do something on that day and fly somewhere, I will do it. But for the most part, try not to book anything that big that day because it's so important for me to do so. So as far as I'm concerned, it's blocked out that day unless today show wants me on again. Then my wife understands, you know, she's like, oh, it's, you know, he's only four. So he'll, he'll be okay. I'm like, well, we can try to FaceTime. We can do whatever. But the, the importance uh, of these events and what's important in my life, my team understands. They understand, you know, that they're going to make mistakes and that's okay. Just don't feed me BS. If you can't, if you can't fix something, if you tell me on Wednesday and it's Friday and I call you out on it, don't get upset. It's, it's your own issue. So I call so many people out on things like this and all of my trainers, we had 10 of them. Like it's personal training. Don't be Joey. Don't be Greg. Be personal and make it towards that individual. And you have your own personality too. And make, make that your own. Like, you know, you, you learned one new training system. Don't throw away everything else you knew. Like integrate that, incorporate that. So much other, again, great kind of sub subject matter that comes mm-hmm. from that. Um, look, prioritization. As a father, you know, I hear you talk about your son's, you know, Christmas pageant event. You know, we want to be there. Yes. Again, I have two boys. We want to be there. We also have careers. Mm-hmm. And, and, responsibilities at the same, in the same breath, you mentioned wanting to get a house, you know, 
how we prioritize again, you know? Um, if we're at a hundred percent of, let's say, our five-year-old's events and experiences, that comes at a cost also. I might win father of the year and get the love, okay? But I also- have no house. Be, right, but I may not be any closer to getting the house that my wife and I want to raise our six, seven, eight, nine, nine, 10 year old, you know, in and so on and so forth. Um, you know, to that effect, also, it's kind of like, and I, and you see it everywhere too. Like you got guys that literally they're over-indexed in the gym. They're in the greatest shape of anything else. Okay. But the other 22 hours of the day, like they can't put it together. Mm -hmm. And you got other guys that are making a ton of money, mm -hmm, but they may die at their desk. Mm -hmm. likely to die at their desk mm -hmm. or again, divorce on top of that. And they never see 5% of their kids, you know, stuff, decision-making process you know, in there. What's your, what's your personal operating system, you know, around that? Yeah. For, for me, it's, you know, kind of looking at those events. Are these like once in a lifetime events? Are these firsts? You know, I want to try to be at those as much as possible. Like his first day of preschool, that was non-negotiable for me. Uh, Sherry Shepard was starting a new show and it was premiere week. And they asked if I could come on that week and premiere day. I was like, I can't come on premiere day. You know, it's kind of like a pause. I said, it's, it's my son's first day of preschool. I have to be there. Whether he remembers it or not, we're going to talk about it. He's going to see pictures and whatever. I have to be there. I can come on the next day. So that's what I did. I dropped him off. I picked him up from school. I, I literally dropped him back home and drove to the airport because that right there is a first. And first is only, you can't ever get that back. So if there's a first event, I need to be there. This Christmas pageant thing is his first. Now I went to a Halloween thing that was kind of similar. Like they were like singing Frankenstein. Oh, Frankenstein. It's like, so, do roll. Um, so I was there. So can I slide on this one a little bit? And he's, is he going to understand? Yeah. You know, but my wife knows I'm trying to get there at everything. So prioritize those events are the big, the big ones. You know, he's going to, you know, start indoor soccer in January on Saturdays. I'm probably going to miss a few of them. And he understands that, but I've, I've got to be present during that. And, you know, this ha having that decision ladder and where it's going to make the most sense. Okay. If I miss the Christmas pageant and I'm going to go do a national show and sell a thousand more books, Okay, you know, I think I I probably need to do that, and they understand that, and they know that I want to be there, and I leave them a note, I send them a video where I'm at, I Facetime them in the studio, and he knows I care, and that's more special when I come home, and he can tell me about it. So I guess that's that's kind of how my processes ha uh, my processing happens. What's in the it's in the quality over quantity, and it's in the, how I do one thing is how I do everything arena, which I think is 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 spot on. Um, yep. What's your relationship with money? <laughs> it used to be, it used to be everything to me. I used to say, Oh, I'll be a millionaire by 30. Wasn't a millionaire by 30. I'm almost 40. I'm not a million millionaire yet. You know, I, I used to look at that and people are like, Oh, money's not everything. No, it isn't, but it definitely takes away a lot of stressors. You don't have to worry about bills or vacations or anything. That's going to take away major stressors in your life. So definitely, if you have money, it doesn't make you happy, but it definitely gets rid of stress. At a certain point, like how much is too much? And me right now, I kind of have a threshold. Like I want to afford a certain type of house. And now that the market's up 30% plus high interest rate, I know I need to hit a certain amount of book sales to get there. But 
I'm doing everything I can to make this book a success. And if it's not a success, as far as book sales and money is concerned, I know I did everything I possibly could to get it there. So then that's fine. I did everything I could. If I didn't do everything I could, then that's absolutely on me. And I'll always wonder what could have been with this. Money is absolutely important to me. Absolutely. I need it. And like a lot of people like who say money doesn't matter, like often they have money, right? Um, you know, when I get to that point, you know, I'll probably always work, but I don't know if it's necessarily for money. I love what I do. I've got five jobs the last time I counted. Uh, they, they all matter, but um, what matters most is just, you know, my family and them being proud of me. I would say when I die, it's not going to be like, oh, my, my dad was on all these TV shows. He did all this. He wrote these books. When I die, I hope he says, I am proud of my father. That's all that matters to me. Now, you can't be proud if like we grew up and like lived on Lower Wacker in Chicago and we're homeless. But I need to find like, uh, I used to want this big, big house and whatever, like, you know, big dick swinging, you know what I mean? And show mm -hmm. it. But now I realize like, I just, we're probably not gonna have another kid. So I think a three bedroom house, a couple thousand square feet, two, hopefully three car garage, put a little gym in there. That right there, as long as it's not in a neighborhood that's unsafe, that right there will, will make me happy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you know, the, the evaluation, and I think the evolution of again, what does success really look like to us, you know, what is contentment, what does happiness look like and what is, you know, what is fulfillment. So you mentioned earlier that you could read this book, obviously cover to cover. Yep. And I'm going to tell people that you should be reading this book. <laughs> you you in, should. In its entirety. Okay. Do not do the minimum here. I want you to do the maximum. I want you to read the entire book okay, on this. However, mm -hmm, Maybe it's like picking your favorite kid. <laughs> so if I asked you, hey, mm, do you have a favorite chapter or a favorite part or a favorite even line or something here that you're just like, yup, 300 pages here. And this is the one like I smile about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think the sleep chapter is the most important one. But always people say, oh, you know, um, I'll sleep when I'm dead. But here's the thing. Less sleep will kill you faster. Proven. Just let that sink in. And that right there, actually, there's a quote in, in the book, less sleep will absolutely kill you faster. It's going to lead to all sorts of chronic illnesses and inflammation and mental health problems and get your sleep on point. That's why this is the biggest chapter. It's 20, I mean, the whole book's like 85,000 words. I think the sleep chapter is 20,000. I love that. And I'm really, I'm glad to hear you say that because yeah, I got a bone to pick with the 24-7 hustle and grind, hustle <laughs> and, and grind, you know, sleep when I'm dead thing, you know, on there, you know, and and did it for a while, bought into it, thinking mm -hmm. that was the, the thing. And maybe for a while, you, know, you even have energy, you know, to do it. But it does catch up with you. It does. It will every time. Mm -hmm. In there. And on the more is not better side of things. On the sleep side, it actually is. On the more hustle, the more grind, the more pervasive the sleep when I'm dead attitude is on there. And you, the earlier you're going to end up, you know, you're going to end up proving that model, you know, proving that model true. You know, you will be sleeping when you're dead. That's going to happen a lot faster. So, you know, that's that's really really good to hear. Um, is that you do a lot of this. you're on television all the time. You said you mentioned you got five jobs, you're on television all the time, you're traveling around, you're getting asked a lot of questions, you're talking to people, you're training a lot of people, you got people that work under you, so on, so on. Is there something you're like, nobody ever asks me this? You know, I keep like keep wondering why of all the stuff I do and everything out there, huh? Find yourself thinking about something, but nobody ever asks me that. Wow. 
great question and very difficult to even come up with an answer. You know, I think that, uh, you know, nobody really asks me why I don't share my son on social media. Mm. Um, and I'll, I'll answer my own question. So I, one, I love seeing my friends, kids and everything else on social media. But, you know, for me, I, as I had a line earlier in the podcast about like, I'm an open book with closed chapters. I think some things you need to keep close to you. And for us and for my wife, especially since I'm out there and stuff too, you can go like, oh, like, oh, seeing him at playgrounds, whatever. And, you know, that sort of stuff. And on where he's going to be on social media with his friends when he's older. I get that. But like, it's precious right now. And for me, if somebody wants a picture of Frederick, my son, I'll text it to them. You know, they don't have to see it, the 100,000 people on Instagram or whatever. And because the people that are precious in my life, that almost seems a little bit more special that they're the only ones that know what he's doing or what he, or what he looks like right now or how tall he is. So keeping those things a little bit close to your heart, I, I suggest people kind of find that and keep one thing. You don't need to share everything in the world in every single moment because when you're stuck trying to capture every moment on the phone, you're going to miss that moment in your heart. Man, it's, yeah, that's, that's, much better answer than the than anything I was ex, I was expecting and really true. And now, you know, it's gotten me thinking. Your son and my boys are at very different stages. Hmm? Frederick at five, mine are 16 and, and and 19. And you also sound a lot like my wife in this regard, too. <laughs> you don't have to post everything, you know, like sure. there's certain things that need to be private, and it is, you know, really interesting. And I know when our boys were younger. I was posting a lot of pictures. They were cute and they were happy. And it was, you know, we were at the pumpkin patch, you know, or the, you know, all the, the stuff, the Halloween costumes and everything. What's interesting in hearing you say this now is that as my boys have gotten older and they're young men and, and you know, I've posted less and included them in less because in a way, the subject matter and, and the judgment and assumptions and their friends are all out there and what they think of me and themselves. But we're also dealing with, dealing with, you know, there's awkwardness and there's puberty and there's drugs and alcohol and depression and mental and like all this others. And I think maybe that's made me scale back the promotion of, of a VNM or even some of the subject matter surrounding what we go through with, with trying to raise young men and what they're going through yeah. and being sensitive of that. Thank you for the answer. Cause I'm going to dive deeper into, into this. And I'm conflicted because in one end, I think there's so much value in the work that, you know, the work that you're doing and the way you put it out and you have to have boundaries and even the work that I'm trying to do, the subject matter is so important not to avoid, but at the same time, like we're living it. Mm-hmm. And it does affect the people that we live with, you know, and can also. So being cognizant of that, I think, is is super important for anyone out there, like whether you have a personal brand or a big following or not. I, mean, I think it's something important to pay attention to. And thank you for pointing that out. Like, yeah. What do we put out? What do we really put out there? What's most important? I really liked what you said about the people that I want to know. They know. And it makes it special yep. that you thought enough to send it to them or they asked or they're connected, but not everybody else. I had to hang on to that one and I got to apply it. 
And as I get on a plane this Saturday and think about it, I'm going to really be thinking about it when I'm doing things with my son and maybe more, and, and more should, you know, out there. Yeah. Does this have to go up and out and here? Or can we remain present and enjoy what's really happening? Absolutely. Yeah, this, you know, this is really, really good stuff in here. How do people find you? Mm-hmm. Find you, listen to you, read your material, even work with you. What, take yep. us to that. Hmm? Yeah. So all social media channels at Joey Thurman fit Thurman is like Uma minus the money or relation. Uh, uh, YouTube is Joey Thurman fitness, joeytherman.com. You know, everything is on there. The book, the minimum method, the least you can do to be a stronger, healthier, happier you it's on, of course, on Amazon, it's audible, my voice, hardcover, audio, CD, Kindle. It helps me out most if you buy the paperback. So that'd be great if you do, but if not buy anything else that helps me out too. Um, and I respond to every single DM. I really do, assuming they're appropriate. And um, I do some limited coaching. Uh, let's just say it's very expensive. So if you don't have a budget, don't like ask, ask me for that. But um, because, you know, like, like I said, time is money. So I'm very expensive. I'm very good at what I do. And I can acknowledge that. And that's okay. Everybody out there, you should listen and acknowledge your strengths too. So uh, joeytherman.com, joeytherman.fit, Fitness on YouTube. And the minimum method is the book, my man. Guys, pick it up. You heard it right here. Pick it up. Start from wherever you want to, okay? And then make sure you just finish the entire thing. Now, final thought. Sure. New Year's resolution. I don't know exactly when this is going to go out, but we're recording this right now, uh, December whatever, 8th or 9th. I've lost track of time. <laughs> what day it is. Yeah. But we're close to the end of 2022, and we are yeah. heading into 2023. New Year's resolutions, do you make them? What's your thoughts on resolutions? What should we be thinking about end of the year and looking forward into the next year? Yeah, I think one, you know, start now, if you've got a resolution, why are, why are you waiting? You know, even if you're listening to this in 2023 in March, start now, you don't need to wait for a certain date or Monday to start your workout plan or your diet or your new business. Uh, and for me, my own resolution now is to be more present and give my wife more positive because I give so much energy to everybody else she often gets the shit that I hide when I'm working with people, when I'm going on podcasts, when I'm doing that. So give her, give her some more love, give her some more grace and realize that, you know, the, the ones we love and the ones we're closest to, often they get the worst of us and not the best of us. When you first met them, I guarantee they got the best. So how much can you give them and realize what you're taking away from them and your love and your relationship by not giving them the best of you? Mm, such good stuff joey thurman midlife mail podcast thank you so much for for being here today sharing everything the minimum method guys go pick it up you know where to find joey if you like what you've heard on the show please give us a five star rating leave us a good review share this with your friends share the book with your friends share everything out there because this is all about keeping the midlife mail movement growing and expanding the community and helping good people do really good work. So Joey, thank you so much. Happy, healthy holidays. Appreciate it. If you're interested in coaching and taking this conversation deeper so that you can achieve your personal and professional goals, be sure to head over to midlifemail.com and check out the work with me page to explore options.